you know, we were purposing to get into the book of Galatians. We haven't gotten into Galatians. We're still not going to get into Galatians. We'll get there someday. Uh, we've kind of taken uh, a, a little bit of a detour. I think it's actually God took us off of our detour and, and is getting us going the direction he wants us to go in the first place. And so we, we're going to continue that study and, and continue uh, to do the things that we've been talking about. I'm excited to hang out and, and chill with you guys next week and just have a fun time. Uh, we will have snacks. I don't know what those snacks are yet, uh, but they'll be here as well. So, you know, that's more incentive to show up. Right? We like snacks. We like hanging out. We like games. It's, it's good stuff. Um, as we get started, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9. If you want to turn there now, uh, we'll be uh, coming back and forth to that um, off and on uh, as we go. But uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 9. But before we do that, I, I just want to kind of run through a scenario with you and, and just ask you to, to think about some things. If, if, if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're just here visiting, you don't know what any of this stuff's about, just hang with us, just listen, just take it in, and let us know whatever questions you got. No pressure, we're not trying to, you know, force you into our weird club or anything like that, uh, but we're happy to have you. So, everybody else, if, if we sat down one-on-one, and we talked about life priorities, right? Some of you just graduated. Life is now yours, right? You get to make your own decisions, and, and you get to suffer the consequences of your decisions as well, positive or negative. Um, I guess it's not suffering if it's positive, but if, if we sat down and talked about your priorities, and we looked at all of your responsibilities, your calendar, your, your work, what entertainment you enjoy, the community you're a part of, Right? All of those things. How far down the list, if we're being honest, how far down the list would we find the gospel? Just curious. So pretend we're having that conversation and pretend I'm not your pastor. Maybe you already don't think I'm your pastor. I don't know. Pretend I'm not your pastor. I'm just some friend that you can be completely vulnerable with. You can be completely honest. How long does it take us to find the topic of the gospel in your list of priorities. Do we find the gospel? Does, does it make the list at all? What if, I, what if I worded it this way? Do you have lost friends and loved ones? If we sat down with them and listed your priorities to them, would they find their eternity on your list? I said that a little bit backwards. Does that make sense? If we sat down with your friend and listed your priorities, would their eternity be on your list of priorities? Would they find it? Would they find that you care more about them or, or more about being liked by them? Because sometimes it's, it's hard to, to share the gospel. Sometimes it's hard to, to get out of our comfort zone and talk about difficult things because, frankly, we want people to like us. We're, we all want people to like us. We want friends. But what would they see on, on our list of priorities? And I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody into caring for others. If you don't care for others, then, you know, you got problems. <laughs> but I want you to really think about the answer to those questions. I, I, when it comes to your friends and loved ones, don't you think they should care about your wants and needs? Right? You're their friend because you care about their wants and needs. Right? If they didn't, if you both didn't, then you're just acquaintances. Right? That's just a guy I know. He's got wants and needs, but I don't have time 
You know, fact, the fact of the matter is there's too many people in the world for you to care about everybody's wants and needs, but you care about your friends. Right? You care about your family. You care about those wants and needs that they have. So let's switch that over and ask that about God. You want him to care about you and your needs and your concerns. Do you care about his? Because if not, man, that's a one-way relationship, isn't it? It's supposed to be both ways. We're supposed to care about what he cares about. We're supposed to care about who he cares about. We're supposed to be about the things he's about, because he definitely cares about us. He's already made that journey. Tonight, we're going to, again, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll start in verse 16, if you want to read along with me. And I want us to take an honest look at what I'm calling prioritizing the gospel. And we find that in this passage here. So let's start in verse 16. We'll read to 23, and then we'll get into that study sheet if you want to follow along there. Verse 16 says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge. That I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. That I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. That I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll start on the, the study sheet. Lord, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful, as always, for your word. It, it guides us. You don't ever pull any punches. You let us have what we need to get. Um, Lord, we need to accept it. Uh, we need to be ready for the challenge. We need to be ready for the direction. And I do pray that uh, you would do that for us, that you would show us what we need to get Show us the focus we need to have, the balance we need to, to maintain, and uh, from that, the actions we should be taking. And so I just pray that you would give us those understandings and give us the boldness to follow. Uh, we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so first off, if we're going to prioritize the gospel, the first thing that we need to have is a balanced outlook on the gospel. We have to be balanced in, in what we're doing. I think Jeff talked about this even Sunday, that, that balance is one of the most difficult things to, to maintain in, in our Christian life. He actually talked about it Sunday night in Columbus. That's where I heard it. So you guys are like, I don't, I don't remember him saying that. Sunday night in Columbus, we were talking about balance. And balance is, it's, it's one of the most difficult things to maintain in life. You know, we'll, we'll be convicted about something in our life, and, and we'll just say, okay, God, I'm never going to do that again. And so we swing the pendulum to the extreme opposite, and we're still not balanced, right? But, but that's what we do. We do that with everything. That's just the way life is. You know, I, I do that in my, my life with my family. You know what? I'm, I'm too focused on my job. Well, let's, let's just take a bunch of time off and, 
and I find myself not, not paying attention to what I'm supposed to be doing in another area, and, and we just go back and forth and back and forth, and that's, praise the Lord, he's patient, right? Praise the Lord, he's long-suffering, and, and I'm like bouncing off the, I'm like the, you know, God is the rails in the, in the gutters of the, the bowling alley. I'm a little kid bowling, and God's bouncing me back and forth down the lane. Otherwise, I would never make it. I would hit the gutter. It'd be all over, right? The, the Lord is patient, and he keeps redirecting me. He knows I'm struggling with balance all the way. Balance is a difficult thing, but we have to have a balanced outlook on the gospel if we're going to actually achieve what he wants us to achieve. So I've got a couple of scales there, a couple of balances on your sheet. And the first one, the first thing that we need to balance is our want to versus our have to. There's things we want to do. There's things we have to do. When we take those two things and we apply that to the gospel, we see what Paul is talking about right here. He says in verses 16 and 17, Though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, if I want to do it, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. He's saying, I, I, I want to do this thing, or do I have to do this thing? And God's answer is yes. You gotta, it's both. right? But there are times in our life where we want to do it, and there's other times where we're just like, oh, uh, yeah, I, better, I guess I've got to do that thing. But God says this is actually a balance between both of those things. Let's look in uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. We see Paul's want to, another instance. He says, I am debtor, both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul wants to get this message out because this is the power to salvation. This is how people get saved. It's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus Christ has paid for their sins. So Paul wants to get it out. When he was first saved, we see Paul doesn't really have a choice. Kind of does, but, but it would be direct disobedience to the Lord. If we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, it says, He, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? This is Paul, or Saul was his name at the time. Saul asking God, what am I supposed to do? He's just been blinded on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to kill Christians. And, and Jesus Christ himself stops him in the road and blinds him. And he says, what wilt thou have me to do? What do I have to do? The Lord said unto him, arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Right? And, and when he goes to the city... There's a guy, I think his name's Ananias. He goes to talk to this guy, and, and God says, hey, this is the message you're going to give Saul. You're going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to give your life for the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's everybody who's, who's not Jewish, if you're not sure what that means. So that's, that's Paul's have to. He's, he's got both. He, he has been given a mission from God to get the gospel out to the entire world. And Jesus Christ himself said, I'll tell you what you must do, right? There's only one name whereby we must be saved. That's Jesus Christ. So Paul's have to is, is, is balanced there. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, we see this balance again. It says, but as we were allowed of God, you know, when you're allowed to do something, it's usually because you want to, right? 
when my kids ask to do something and I say, yes, you're allowed to do that, it's because they wanted to do it. We were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Well, now we're responsible for something. It's not just a privilege, it's a responsibility, it's both. It's the have to and the want to. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. So this is the perfect balance, again, of privilege and responsibility. Want to and have to. So, here's the question. What if you're struggling with the want to? I know I'm supposed to. I know that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I, I honestly, if I'm just being honest, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm uncomfortable. Proverbs 16.3 has our answer. God has the answer for us. He says, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Right? Sometimes you don't want to do what's right. God says, why don't you do it anyway? It's a good idea if you just start doing what you know to do is right. Even if, even if your heart's desire doesn't match that, even if the thoughts that keep popping in your head say, yeah, it's not really for me. God said it is for you. God said it is for you, and if you start doing the things that he says are for you, he says, man, your thoughts will realign. Right? When you, when it's the same thing. Where your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Put yourself, put, put what is valuable to you. Put your time into something and watch your heart follow. Right? Put your effort there. Spend some of yourself on it, and your heart will follow. That's what he's saying. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The second balance we have is influence versus advantage. And there's, there's basically two ways we're going to look at, you know, Paul makes this statement that he's free from all men. And there's two ways of looking at freedom. There's, there's a balance. Freedom is an opportunity, right? And, and we need to balance between what you can get and what you have to offer, right? Liberty is something that I think is a very, very, very big struggle for a lot of people. I want to exercise my liberty. Okay, go for it. What category are we talking about? Right? There's, a, there's a million categories. There's usually a few hot-button categories that people go to that people struggle with. I have the right. I have the liberty. I'm allowed to. Yeah, you're allowed to. Right? But you could very quickly compromise your influence to take advantage of your get-to, right? what you're allowed to do. So, 2 Corinthians 11.7, he says, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted? Because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. Paul had a perspective of, you know what? I'm ab- to abase yourself is to make yourself base, basic, lower. I exalted you, I put myself lower. But Paul's free. We're going to see this, this theme come all the way through here over and over and over again. Paul's choosing to put himself lower so that he has influence. He's, he's going to choose not to take advantage of what he's allowed to do. And what he's allowed to do is, is basically rule over these churches and tell them exactly what to do. And he could, he could push his authority, but time and again, he doesn't. He doesn't go around telling them his qualifications. There's a couple of times where he has to because they're, they're struggling because somebody comes in with a lie, a letter that's not from him. And, and now they're doubting his qualifications. We see this in Galatians. He lists out, look, this is my qualification. 
We see it in several different places. But for the most part, Paul puts himself lower, lifts other people up to make sure that they get the advantage, that he has the right to. 1 Corinthians 7.31, And they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world passeth away. Here's another question. You have liberties. You have the ability to make your own choices, especially now that you're adults. And if you live at home and your parents say otherwise, you better stick with that for a little bit. At least until you can get on your feet. So are you completely focused, here's the question, are you completely focused on the temporal? What you're allowed to do right now to enjoy this life right now? Can someone look up for me Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3? Colossians 3, 1, 2, and 3. I, I didn't put it on your sheet or the, or the screen. And whoever gets it, just read it nice and loud. All right, so the instruction Paul's giving the church at, at Colossae is, look, you, you have the right, you have the freedom, you have the liberty to pursue the things here that are temporary. And some of you know that, suit, that, that, that pursuit, I can't speak, that pursuit is, is nothing but emptiness. It'll fulfill you for a little bit, but ultimately it falls short. It falls way short. Right? So, so Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says you, you've, you've got the freedom to do what you want, but here's what you ought to seek. You ought to seek the things that are above. You ought to th- seek things that have eternal value. They're going to last. When this life and all of these temporary things are gone, what are you going to have with you? Where are you going to be? Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So this verse is saying liberty is not just about what you are allowed to do. Here's the balance that's, that's hard to attain. True liberty comes when what you are allowed to do for yourself does not interfere with what you are able to set aside, set aside to serve somebody else. Let me say that again. True liberty comes when what you are allowed to do for yourself does not interfere with what you can set aside to serve somebody else. Your desires don't get in the way of laying yourself down to lift somebody else up. Paul understood, yeah, I've got rights. I've got the ability to do whatever I want. I've got authority, but I'm going to set it aside to serve you and to serve you, and to serve you. I'm going to set aside what I'm allowed to do to make sure that you know what love is. I'm not going to go around just fulfilling whatever I want to fulfill because I can. He had a perfect balance. He understood the balance between being allowed and not being bound by what you're allowed. Because that can happen too, and it can happen quick. So, if we have a balanced outlook on the gospel, we're more likely to act accordingly. Then, a balanced outlook becomes a blessed outcome from the gospel. 
And that's number two, a blessed outcome from the gospel. Paul talks about rewards and about what he gains over and over and over by sacrificing his own priorities, by having that balanced view of things. The first thing that uh, we're going to see here is, is letter A, God's Renaissance man. Anybody know what a Renaissance man is? No? Okay. Renaissance man is, is like the Renaissance art period. There's the, the Renaissance period, Michelangelo, he was a sculptor. He did the, the famous statue David. I was going to put a picture up there, but the dude's naked, and I don't want to do that to you. David, he also, he also in, in the, the museum where the statue of David is, there's, there's this long corridor leading up to it, and there's a whole bunch of other statues. And, and what a Renaissance man is, is a self-made man. He's a man who's, who's sculpted himself, right? And in, in this corridor leading up to the statue of David, there's these other statues of men peeling away rock, right? That's just a big hunk of rock. And then there's this, you know, these other ripped dudes that are also naked that I didn't want to put pictures of up there. <laughs> but, it, but it's interesting because, because the picture is this, that, you know, you, you start out this rough figure and you are going to conquer the earth. And you are going to overcome all the obstacles. And you are going to form yourself without anybody's help. Now, man, that's awesome if you're in a locker room before a football game or something, right? That'll get you jazzed up, that kind of stuff. But in real life... It's not going to get you very far. That's, that's, you're not going to look like those statues. You're going to be a wreck. Right? You're going to be a mess. So the Renaissance man, if, if we look at, the reason I'm saying this is in uh, verse 19, let me find it here. I've got to be in the right chapter first. Okay. For though I be free from all men, that's what I mentioned before he was going to talk about being free, yet... Have I made myself? See, God's version of a, of a self-made man, God's Renaissance man, has three more words afterwards. I made myself what? Servant unto all. Right? God's self-made man makes himself lower so that others can be elevated. He, he's going to make himself the servant, so that he can make gains, gains of souls. And he says again in verse 22, to the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men. See, Paul decided, man, I'm, I'm going to be a self-made man. I'm going to do it God's way, and I'm going to make sure that this guy doesn't matter. Not first, that's for sure. I'm going to make sure that other people matter first, and I'm going to be their servant. And that's the theme that we see through this whole thing. God's renaissance man is all about others. And he's going to make himself great because he's not going to prioritize himself. He'll let God take care of those details. Matthew 17, 24 through 27 is a passage uh, about giving and offering and who it belongs to. But there's an interesting little uh, tidbit in here. Verse uh, 24 says, When they were come to Capernaum, uh, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? So there's some tax collectors coming. 
They want to know, are you guys going to pay? And, and Peter says, yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him or stopped him, saying, What thinkest thou, thinkest thou Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Who are they taxing? Their own children or of strangers? And Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Right? Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou, uh, go thou to the sea, cast in a hook, take up a fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take it, give unto them for me and thee. You're free, is what he's saying. Peter, you, technically, in the big picture, Pete, you don't, you don't owe any taxes. You know, in the long run, I mean, you're walking with the king of kings right here. If, if, if they come after you and demand it, I could, I could wipe them from the earth right now, right? But, he says, so that they're not offended. Why? Because he came to rescue them. He's free from paying tribute, but he chose to do it anyway. Because he was becoming all things to all people as well. He, he came to serve. To seek, to serve, and to save. Romans 15, 2, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Man, what if our first focus was to build somebody else up? I mean, we're all about telling stories and adding to stories, you know, the fish story that gets long, the fish gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Why do you do that? Why, do, why is that our nature? Because we serve ourselves. It's impressive to people that you have a fun story and you want people to like you. Acts 17, 2, and, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. We went here because it says to the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those that are under the law, I became as under the law. So what did Paul do? He went, he obeyed the laws because he was a Jew. He understood the laws. He was established in the law as a leader, and so he went into the tabernacle over and over and over, and he followed the laws. Why? He didn't go in and act like a Gentile. They would have kicked him right out, and they never would have listened to one thing that he had to say. He went in on purpose to reach those individuals, and so he behaved in a way that would be acceptable to those individuals. He, he prioritized them and, and not offending them right off the bat. Now, once he shared the gospel and they refused it, they were already offended. See ya, I'm going to the Gentiles. That's what he did in city after city after city. It says, after, or as his manner was, he went in unto them and he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Um, Acts chapter 13, we won't read this one, but this is just another instance. Uh, there's an instance in Acts 18 um, and Acts 28 also where Paul is doing the same type of thing going in, reasoning with the scriptures. And then, if you follow him through the book of Acts, he, he behaves differently in front of different crowds. It's not because he's a chameleon in, in a negative way, right? For, for us, you know, th this was me in high school. Whatever crowd I was around, I was going to act like that crowd. I, I, want, I just wanted people to like me. I didn't have, there was no depth to me whatsoever. I was just whoever you wanted me to be. Because I wanted friends and I didn't want to stand out for the wrong reasons. That's like the negative chameleon. You, know? you don't actually want to be that guy. You, want to, you actually want to matter and be somebody that other people want to be around because you actually have depth and, and value. 
But Paul didn't care about that. He, he wasn't worried about having depth and, and value in himself. He was worried about the depth and value of others. He wasn't motivated just to be liked. He was motivated for their souls, which made Paul have more depth and value than most of us ever will. Galatians 2.2 2, says, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. One of the things that, that Paul was told when his name was Saul that he was going to do was he was going to share the gospel to, to kings. He was going to share the gospel to royalty. Oh, and everybody from there down. All the Gentiles. And so when he went in, he, he behaved himself in a certain way. He didn't go in to embarrass the royalty or else he instantly has no voice. He has no, no podium. But check it out, he says, he communicated unto them that gospel which he preached among the Gentiles. Paul never changed the message. He altered the messenger. Get that? He didn't ever change the message. The message is the same. Salvation is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone, because of what he did on the cross for our sins. That is salvation for everyone. But Paul said, the message matters, the messenger doesn't. Because the message of the gospel is what saves. I just get to be the one to carry it. So I should carry it without offense so that I get to speak it. And once you're offended by the gospel, well, that's your problem. But that's not how I start my conversation. I start my conversation making sure that you know that you matter because you have to hear this. And when you say, forget that, no thanks, I don't want that Jesus thing. Okay, man, I'm sorry. That's going to be bad for you someday. I'll pray for you. But initially, that person has to be the priority. Because the gospel is the priority. That's how God's renaissance man becomes, letter B, God's rewarded man. Check this out. Let's read uh, verses 19 to 23 again. Pay attention to when Paul says, that I might. Right? He says, I do something, and then he says, that I might. And that's the reason he does something. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all men, that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He wasn't, Paul didn't have a stop sign to put up for God. Well, okay, that's enough, God. No, by all means. If, if God said do it, Paul said, okay. That by, 
He says, not that I might save some, but that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Man, five times he talks about what he gains. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, John and I were talking about this last week. John's a, a man of many questions, if you don't know John. It's good stuff. 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 16 says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way in. He's the foundation. Without Christ, there is no salvation, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what Christ himself said. So there's no other foundation than Christ. Verse 12, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So look at those, those, those six items, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. What happens when those things have fire applied to them? Some of them vanish away, and others yet are purified. They last through the fire. If any man's work abide, verse 14, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. This, this is, this is the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ that he's talking about here. That fire is going to be the eyes, the flaming eyes of Jesus Christ looking upon your works and upon my works and the things that I've done. And I'm going to present that to him. And I hope and I pray that I've done enough of things that actually have eternal value that I'll have a reward. Right? We're doing good right now, but you've got to finish. Right? We've got to finish the course. And certainly there's things that I've done that have been a waste, that have been selfish, that have been me focused on temporal things, and those things are going to burn and they're gone. If you were in the gym, we might call these gains, right? If you don't have spiritual fruit, what rewards will you have? If you don't have these gains. So on, on your sheet, I, I put no gains. Do you even lift, bro? I know that's a little bit old, but, you know, it's still funny to me. No gains? Do you even lift, bro? Do you lift your lost friends and family up to the Lord? Do you lift others' needs and desires above your own? Do you lift the Lord's name above every other, specifically your own? Do you lift someone else's eternity above your present? Because that's what this comes down to, doesn't it? 
Romans chapter 14, we won't go there, the entire chapter is about believers placing other believers' weaknesses above their own preferences and above their own liberties. We've already covered that ground. There's kind of a, a, a finishing statement in Romans 15, verses 1 through 3. It says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, for even Christ pleased not, him, pleased not himself. Right? He came to serve. He gave everything for us. The results from living a life focused on others and the gospel is a life of gains and eternal worth. We see some of those in, in the next three passages that I've got here. Later on in this same chapter, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25 says, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Right? Somebody, somebody who's a bodybuilder, do they eat junk food? Not when it's competition time. Right? They're temperate. They're, they have everything under control so that they can master their body. So they can be the absolute best they can be. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible. Right? Because, because that thing's going to be made of gold and silver and precious stones. And when, when that thing is tried by the fire, it's going to last. It's going to make it through. Not a, a trophy for, for being you know, the buffest dude in the gym or whatever. It's temporal. They don't call it a dad bod for nothing. That's temporal. <laughs> Back in the day, right? Philippians 4.1 says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. What is, what is Paul's crown? It's not a what, it's a who. My brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown. Paul's crown, his reward is people. People who are brothers and sisters because they are sons and daughters of God. Because they've accepted Jesus Christ as King. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? And our crown of rejoicing is you. And I think we focus so much on how weird I might come across, or what they might think of me, and maybe they won't be friends with me anymore. But what if, what if they became your brother or your sister for eternity? Because you put that ahead of your own worries and fears and thoughts. That's convicting to me. We'll wrap up with verse 23 of our passage. He says, This I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. We're going to get to this point soon, hopefully, in here. Our unity and our fellowship is right there. Partaker thereof with you. This, this ought to be a group effort. Not one of us is supposed to be Philip the Evangelist out on the road, no body connection, 
Right? No church connection or anything like that. We're not supposed to be that. This, this shouldn't just be a question of what are you doing for the Lord, but rather what are we doing for the Lord? Man, Vinny shared the gospel with, with a lady at work. I don't know how many of you prayed along with me, but I got to share in that because, man, I, I lifted Vinny and that lady up to the Lord, and, and what a tremendous thing we get to celebrate. There's another soul in heaven. That's awesome. And it's not about taking credit. It's, it's about doing this thing together to have fellowship in the gospel. This is why I was so intent last week to, to let you know what I promised God that we would be all about in the well. You don't have to join us. But we, we are going to follow the Lord and seek to win the lost. That's what we are going to do, whoever we is. If it's just myself and the Lord, we are going to do it. And, and I'd love for you to join me. We are going to prioritize others because we prioritize the gospel. So I have a, a homework assignment, and then we'll pray and uh, do another worship song. The homework is, is for you to sit down and, and purposefully think about your schedule. Think, think about what a normal week, normal month looks like for you. Write down the, the five most frequent places you go. So if, if you come here and church on Sunday, just, just church only gets one slot, right? So four others that you, you come to. Five most frequent places you go. Along with that list, write down five people that you come across frequently that need to know that Jesus died for them. They need to know the gospel. If you don't have five places, that's, that's no big deal. If you don't have five people, write as many as you have and be praying for however many to, to at least get to five, right? Ask the Lord, would you put somebody else on my list for me? I just don't know that many people. You know, it, it's COVID season. Not a, not a lot of us are getting out right now, but but the Lord can give you opportunities, right? Because this is what he wants us to be about. And if we're actually, if we're praying about it and actually trying, I mean, he's, he's a God who cannot lie. He, he promised. All we got to do is pray according to his promises and watch him do what he said he would do. So write as many names as you've got. If you've got more than five, you know, go for it. That's awesome. Write as many as you can. Begin praying for God to give you open doors with those people. Pray for them every day, by name. We're going to do more with those lists in, in the near future. But we ought to, we ought to care about other, other people's eternities. And if you don't at least have five, get one and spend your energy on their eternity. We've got to get ourselves there. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, again, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, uh, what I think is a very balanced approach that Paul lays out for us. It's, it's not just what we have to do. We get to be a part of this. 
And if we get it, if we finally understand, if we start doing it, and the joy and rejoicing that will be a part of this, I think will be infectious. And we could addict ourselves to the ministry. And we can make a difference in people's lives before it's too late. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see people the way you see people. And I, I know that's only going to come if we spend time in your word and we give our hearts to you and, and we begin taking steps of obedience. So, Lord, help us to hold one another accountable to getting in your word, to walking in the spirit, to, to doing the things we need to do. Not because we need to jump through hoops, but because we care about what you care about. We know that you first loved us and, and, and we need to start taking steps forward and showing that we love you in return by loving the lost. Lord, give us opportunities. Give us boldness. I, I definitely don't have all the answers, and, and that holds me back a lot of times. Uh, but, but you are the answer. So all I need to do is share what you've done for me. And so I just pray you give me opportunities to do that. Give us all those opportunities, and, and we want to say yes right now before we have them so that we can't back out and, and uh, miss an opportunity that is actually somebody else's opportunity to hear. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.